Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Hippie Shit, the podcast where we talk about self-development, spirituality, and lots of fun life stuff like that. Today's theme is actually from a viewer question after the last episode. Um, So in the last episode, I broke down the inner child, the critical parent, and the ego, um, and just touched on the idea of separating those voices and identifying them uh, within both yourself and also within others. Uh, So really wonderful uh, friend of mine and also a listener, she asked me to expand on the idea of identifying the sources of your thoughts and of your feelings. Um, You know, figuring out which part of you is doing the talking, who's doing the talking in any given moment. And so uh, today's episode is a deep dive into that idea, uh, which is also the idea of how to find yourself. Um, and we'll we'll talk about that um, a little bit later. So uh, to start off, we are going to break down uh, all of these voices within your head again um, and do it a little bit more in depth this time. And also uh, just sort of breaking down um, some examples of, of everyday thoughts and everyday feelings that probably come up for a lot of us um, and just kind of figuring out the source of those so that hopefully in in hearing some examples you can then start to see this within your own brain because I do understand that this is not something that most of us practice um, with any regularity Um, and so a lot of this is probably going to feel fairly foreign to you because I think if you ask anybody you know who is the voice inside of your head um, they're gonna say uh, me, and that's not entirely accurate, as we'll talk about. So, what is the inner child? So, the inner child is that part of you that hasn't ever grown up. So, it has a really basic, um, undeveloped set of ideals, and the inner child is kind of about chasing experiences, and it's also the part of you that needs the most to feel okay on some level. So it has some cravings and the base cravings that the inner child has are really based on what trauma you experienced when you were a child. So what needs weren't met when you were young are going to be your main drives and your main source of triggers as you reach adulthood. So, I mean, for example, if you never got validation as a child, you will crave validation as an adult and feeling invalidated will trigger a really strong reaction in your inner child. A lot of those needs also tend to be fairly low on the hierarchy too, right? Like Maslow's, you know, pyramid. Um, So the inner child needs are safety rather than a really strong need for self-actualization. Um, if you if you feel a really strong drive um, to self-actualize, uh, you've probably healed your inner child. Um, so you're probably not dealing with that too much. The inner child tends to speak less and feel more. So your inner child will not communicate with you via words, um, but via reactions. So think temper tantrums, think destructive behavior, Think of the kid just kicking and screaming on the floor of a grocery store because he can't get a toy, right? That that fit, that overwhelming anger or sadness, just being absolutely distraught, that is very often, you know, 
that still manifests within us as as adults when we grow up. Um, but a lot of the time for us, you know, uh, we have been socialized to not show behavior like that. Um, but it's the silent treatment. It's shutting down in conversations that you don't want to have. It's having a bad day and choosing retail therapy or a vodka cranberry. Um, you know, that comes from your inner child demanding to be soothed and taken care of. And this is the part of you that needs the most love, honestly. So again, your inner child speaks to you mostly through feelings of sadness and anger. Um, Specifically, these feelings will be connected to a core wound. So you'll very often feel um, betrayed, neglected, ignored, invalidated, isolated, lonely, abandoned, left out, unsafe, unprotected, unheard, misunderstood, or, you know, just otherwise hurt in a very raw and deep way. Um, Any pain that really, like, hits your core being is really often your inner child's being triggered. And you'll notice that your inner child tends to be triggered by other people, by outside circumstances, by things happening around you or how somebody's interacting with you or not interacting with you. That's the original source of, of the trigger. Um, and then we just sort of spiral downward. So these really extreme emotional reactions that we have to, in reality, very minor situations, those are very often your your inner child being triggered because something happened when you were younger that then led you to understanding patterns in such a way that um, just certain behaviors or certain events happening tend to mean a lot to you. Um, so some examples of inner child thoughts, uh, you know, he doesn't love me. I'm afraid. Nobody cares about me. You never listen to me. Everybody hates me. I can't trust anybody. Or I am unlovable. Those are all inner child thoughts. Those really overwhelming, sad, frustrating, or angry, explosive thoughts. Those are your inner child. Those are... Those are the part of you that never grew up, that never learned to deal, that relies on getting your needs met to feel good. And when your needs are not met and you have that wound, it very often tends to spiral and you will tell yourself a lot of really significant, really harmful things about the situation, about the other person involved about what's going on, about what it means to you, right? So again, that image from last time of the Karen, you know, throwing the fit in public, emotionally obliterating somebody, and it's because their inner child has been wounded. People do not react like that over nothing. It seems from our perspective to be over nothing, but what's happening is that they feel that they need something, usually that they need other people to recognize that they are entitled to what they want. They don't get that. And then that means you've betrayed me. 
I've I've worked so hard. I worked so hard for my money. I spent my money on this coffee and it's not it's not what I wanted. I didn't get what I wanted and it's because you don't respect me, right? And so on a deep level as a child, they learned to feel disrespected and now they believe that they will be disrespected and when somebody is disrespectful, which is what they're considering and the situation you know, that's what they think is happening is that they've been disrespected and it triggers that overwhelming that, you know, nine out of 10 reaction from them because that is the inner child. Now let's talk about what the critical parent is. (laughs) Oh God. I'm sorry. I just, the critical parent is rough for me. So, um, this is the part of you that really tears you down. Um, the critical parent is your parents when you were growing up and it's also society. So it's all these criticisms of yourself. It's your judgment towards yourself. If your inner child is you feeling bad, then your critical parent is you feeling bad about how bad you feel, right? It's the voice that says you're ungrateful, when you're dissatisfied, it's, it's your shoulds. It's, I should be thinner. I shouldn't eat that. I should talk more. I should talk less. I should take up less space. I need to be louder. It's, it's, you know, for, for women, the critical parent often shows up as criticisms of their bodies, of their sexuality, or even of their own desires, because women are very often still socialized to be small, right? And just accept what they're given. And for men, the critical parent is really often critical of their feelings and their vulnerability. So it encourages, you know, um, the, the critical parent, it encourages women to ignore their feelings and their needs and to invalidate themselves and to not show up for themselves and advocate for themselves And for men, it encourages them to build a wall so nobody can ever even see their feelings or their needs. It's all about, you know, being self-sufficient and and not being vulnerable. So the critical parent really often manifests in feelings of guilt and shame. And it's also really often directed at yourself, um, you know, as if it's from an outside source. So it's this negative self-talk, but instead of being like, I am unlovable, it's, you know, you're unlovable because, you know, this is the problem. So some examples um, here, oh, you know, you want to go sing karaoke? Nobody wants to hear you sing. You can't sing. You know, you shouldn't have said that. They're going to think you're stupid now. Or you're so lazy. Why can't you just go to the gym? Or... Why are you still crying about this? It's been three months. Get over it already. It's just a breakup. <laughs> Shout out to Miranda Lambert. <laughs> um, <laughs> just mama's broken heart. Okay. Um, you know, uh, if you don't work harder, you're never going to get promoted. Why don't you just get off your ass, right? Or just hold it in until you get home. You can't cry in front of these people. You can't cry in public. Or nobody wants to hear what you have to say. You never have good ideas. So, just be quiet, right? That's your critical parent. And as I mentioned in in the last episode, I don't hear from other people's critical parents very often. So I definitely witness 
other people's inner child coming out when they react really strongly to something that's just happened. Um, and I definitely engage with people's egos. That's, you know, uh, that's the next section, but that's, um, as you will find out, most of what we interact with is other people's egos. Um, but the critical parent doesn't really show itself to other people unless you are getting into a fairly deep conversation. Like by the time you start to hear externalized, you know, verbalized these inner thoughts that are weighing somebody down, it's usually because they've gotten into a place where they are so distraught and so beaten down by their critical parent that they can't keep it in anymore and they just have to talk to somebody about what's going on. So, you know, this is when you're coaching your friend through a really hard breakup and they're like, I can't believe I'm still crying. Like, I feel so embarrassed about this. That, that is the critical parent. That is the critical parent saying, why aren't you over this yet? You know, why can't you just be strong? And so when you meet someone else's critical parent, when you start to hear the things that they are telling themselves that really weigh them down, that person is in a very vulnerable state. So if you do meet someone's critical parent, be very compassionate with them. Be very mindful with them and just be gentle and hear them out because they need very much for you to show up for them as a more ideal parent in that moment. And I will say it's not your responsibility to fix somebody else's thoughts about themselves, but honestly, if somebody's hurting so badly that you are engaging with their critical parent voice with that really weighed down energy, um, they need a friend. Um, And so if you have it within you to just listen to them and say, I'm so sorry that you're going through this. You deserve so much better. Um, you know, and just, just hear them out and, and validate them and, and show them some unconditional love. You know, I'm sorry that you're going through this and you deserve better. I still think you're cool though. Right. (laughs) Those are some really dead fish but I still think you're cool. Sorry, that is a reference to hyperbole and a half. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so again, I don't meet critical parents very often, but when it happens, it's always like, oh, okay, this is happening. All right, (laughs) you know, Um, and and I know that I'm going to be in for a good time, (laughs) basically at that point, you know, I know that I'm going to be here for a while in those conversations, so I prepare myself accordingly. but yeah, uh, it's it doesn't happen frequently. This is a voice that really does live in your head, deep down, and just rips you to shreds. And now we have the ego. So your ego serves three very important roles in your mind. So number one, your ego is the mediator between your inner child and your critical parent. So it takes the feelings and the urges of the inner child, right? The ed and the thoughts and the criticisms of the critical parent, the super ego. And it tries to figure out the best possible solution to what's going on. So I'm sad. Here's what I want. Here's all the ways that I can't have what I want. And then your brain is just like, all right, let's, what's option B, you know, what's, 
What's option Z, depending? Um, number two, the ego keeps you safe. So it has an executive function. It manifests as your inner voice for the most part. It has a direct link to you. So your inner child and your critical parent are subconscious, while your ego appears to be your conscious mind. And that's not really true, but it is the voice that you're aware of. So it provides the words that you hear when you talk to yourself in your mind. It's the voice that says, oh shit, run when you're in danger, right? And it's also the voice that says, you should text him because your inner child is saying, I want to talk to him. And your critical parent, for whatever reason, is just okay with that idea. Um, but it's also the voice that says, you can't text him when your inner child wants to talk to him, but your critical parent says you can't text him or he'll think that you're a psycho, right? Uh, number three, the ego is your sense of identity within the world. So your ego takes every thought, feeling, experience, memory, achievement, failure, sense, urge, want, need. And then from that, it constructs a narrative of you. So it is very often your sense of self Unless you've done a lot of really powerful inner work to separate your understanding of yourself as the observer and your understanding of what your mind sounds like to you, right? So ego thoughts on the inside are the vast majority of your thoughts. They are almost always contradictory in nature. Um, they are the urges to do things to fix external circumstances so that you can feel okay. So your inner child feels unlovable. And your critical parent decides it's because you're fat and your ego mind says, I should join a gym. And then very often says, well, but I can't afford the gym. I don't even have the time to go. Plus, I've already like had a gym membership price and I know that I won't go after the first month anyways, just because, you know, like I never went the last two times that I had it. So I guess I'm just stuck being fat and I guess that means I'm stuck being unlovable too. And maybe, maybe I'll find someone who will love me anyways, because like fat people still get married, right? I mean, like I've been to... Walmart, like everybody shopping there seems to like be on love, so like they found somebody, so I can, I just want to watch the vampire diaries. And I want to point out that this is not <laughs> this this is this is your ego mind. This is not your consciousness. Um it feels like you're conscious of it. And it takes a lot of work to realize that that is not your consciousness. Um, but this is your mind's reaction to what's going on in your subconscious, right? All of these thoughts are very easy to hear and recognize, but they are not conscious thoughts. They are the result of your subconscious having a reaction to your external circumstances and whatever painful internal feelings you're having. And then you throw those two things at your mind and say, make me feel better. And then your ego does its best to figure out how to fix everything happening within the external world and within your own mind so that you can feel okay. It works so hard for you, okay? Your mind, your ego mind works so hard for you. So appreciate it. Don't try and kill it. I've mentioned that before, right? We are not out to kill the ego. We are not out to kill anything. Appreciate it. But understand that it isn't you. And in seeing it in yourself, you can really start to see it in other people as well. Um, I will say in other people, the ego typically manifests as identity statements and stories. So, and I don't mean like stories like, oh yeah, like this one time at band camp, like the stories that they're telling themselves about themselves, their, their identity stories, they're like core stories. So, you know, these core beliefs that we have. So 
I mean, I'll have conversations with people where they're like, I wish I could just be happy. <laughs> and I'm like, you can. <laughs> um, you know, like, I wish I could be happy, but I have depression. I, you know, I'm just depressed. And I wish my doctor would up my dosage. So, you see, like, the inner child wants to be happy. And the ego is trying to solve the problem externally. Perhaps, you know, that increased dosage. But it's also co-opted the identity of, but I'm depressed, you know, and maybe that's to mediate with that critical parent sense of you're never going to feel better, right? So engaging with the ego of other people is, that's what most people present to the world because it is their sense of self. It is their sense of, it's your sense of separation from other people. It is what defines you as an entity separate from the rest of the universe. Because if the ego is truly dissolved, if you truly kill the ego, then you have no more sense of self because there's nothing that you've constructed that makes up yourself. You have disowned that identity as being, you know, separate from other, there is no you, there is no other, there is just one giant universe observing itself, right? And you understand that, which is truly, I think, the idea of enlightenment, but also, like, we have a modern world to navigate again, right? So, it is important to maintain that sense of self. And again, your ego just wants to protect you. It just wants you to feel okay. It just has really bad solutions for how to go about achieving that. It has really limited information. It's taking information from your inner child and it's taking information from your critical parent and then from, you know, whatever sensory input that is coming in at any particular moment and is trying its hardest to make an informed decision based off of these subconscious programs, but it can't, it just, it's not feasible. It's not possible. So when we rely on our minds to come up with solutions to our bad feelings, to our negative feelings, we're setting it up for failure. Honestly, we are setting ourselves up for failure. We're setting ourselves up to continue to feel horribly because your mind can't do that. It can't control the world. There's so much going on and there are so many other moving parts. Like this universe is so infinite and so expansive that like tasking your brain with fixing external reality so that you can stop being sad how is that going to work? How, you know, whose brain is capable of that? Like, I have no doubt in my mind that you're all very brilliant, intelligent people, but just that's such an insurmountable obstacle to try and overcome. And the truth is, that's what most of us do. That's how most people spend their lives is just asking their brains to fix everything so that we can feel good. And that's just not how it works. You, you just, you gotta, you gotta skip that step and just feel good instead, right? You gotta just be okay rather than expecting your brain to find the solution to all of life's woes so that you can then feel okay, right? Like feel okay first and then you can see what happens. So what I want to talk about now 
um, you know, if you really want to push this and further your understanding of both yourself and of others, it's to recognize that there are only two modes of operation. There is love and there is fear. That's it. That's all. That's all you get. Only two options. Um, and I will say a lot of the time these get mixed up. So maybe you think that like trying to lose weight so that you can find a boyfriend is coming from love because, you know, you're seeking love and you're improving yourself because you love yourself. Right. Um, but that's not that's not from love. That's out of fear. That's the fear that you're not already good enough to get the boyfriend that you want. That's being afraid that your your how your physical body appears in the 3D world around you, you know, is is stopping you from being lovable or worthy. It's your critical parent saying you're not lovable because this is how your body looks, you know, and your your inner child saying, "Yeah, I'm not lovable." And then your ego says, "Well, maybe if I diet enough, um, and go to the gym five days a week, then I'm going to find someone to love me." Because that's how that works, right? You know, um, you want to find love. So what better way than to put yourself into a situation that you don't want to be in and force yourself to eat things that you don't want to eat and force yourself not to eat when you do want to eat and force yourself to go to the gym when you don't want to and do things that you don't want to do, you know, force discipline, fucking discipline, force discipline onto yourself out of the fear of dying alone so that you can get a boyfriend right so that you can be lovable and i'm not i'm not judging okay like i get it i absolutely get it that was me for way more of my life than it needed to be um you know but those thoughts don't serve you and for the most part neither do the actions that are coming from it because when you put in the work to fight against fear you aren't treating the source of the fear you're just trying to outrun it right when you reach that goal body you'll still find something wrong with it maybe you don't immediately materialize a boyfriend upon reaching your goal weight and so now it'll be your nose or your arms or your makeup or your hair or your freckles that are stopping you from finding love right but Here's the thing, like what's stopping you from finding love is the fact that you haven't ever put in the work to love yourself. And if you're not actively loving yourself, then you're sending the signal out to the universe and everybody in it that you're not worthy of love yet, right? Not until you reach that goal weight. But you don't find the sense of worthiness at the gym or in a diet or on the scale. You don't find your sense of worthiness by hitting your goal weight. You find the sense of worthiness by practicing that radical self-love and showing up for yourself in healthy and kind and compassionate ways and showing you love, right? You become worthy of love in showing yourself love. You are no more lovable at your goal weight than you are at your starting weight because you were always infinitely worthy of love regardless of what's going on inside of you or outside of you. You are always worthy. Always. You are a human. You are a human. And if you have set out to do your best, then you deserve love. Period. No questions asked. And this isn't... I'm like, not to like, you know, do this whole like body positive thing, but like... 
honestly, we put so much value and so much worth into how our our human appears to other people, how our human appears in 3D reality. And it's like, why? Why is that worth anything to us? Why does how my body looks mean anything to me or to anybody else? Like, it really doesn't matter. What matters is that every day I wake up and I do my damn best, right? That's why I deserve love. That's why I am worthy of love is because every day I wake up and I do my best. And sometimes my best is going to be, you know, a little bit less than what my best is on other days. Sometimes I ain't feeling it and I just got to like, you know, have a chill day and eat some donuts and watch the craft. And there's nothing wrong with that either, right? I'm doing my best. I am doing what feels good to me. I am following my truth. I am showing up for myself. I am checking in with myself and saying, what do I want? I want this. And then I get it, right? And the thing is, I don't have to earn the donuts. (laughs) I don't have to earn, you know, the ability to watch the craft in the afternoon. I can just do that because I want to. And I'm an adult and I have that ability. And love is the same way. I wake up every morning and I do my best. I do my best to show up for myself and I do my best to show up for other people. I do my best to show up in other people's lives in a way that is going to help them and serve them and, and, you know, push for the higher good. And in doing that, I've done enough. I've done more than enough, right? Just existing, you deserve love. But when you can feel that and radiate that out into the universe in such a way that you can show up in other people's lives in beautiful ways as well, it's honestly like it's the icing on the cake, but how fucking delicious is the icing, right? So let's talk about coming from love. So coming from love, maybe you still go to the gym. Maybe you still enjoy these nutritious meals. But instead of it being because, you know, like, oh, I'm too fat for a boyfriend, so I got to lose weight. It's like, you know, yeah, no, I go to the gym. I exercise. I eat well because I love every single cell in my body. And I want to nurture my inner goddess, right? I want to embody the very essence of well-being as my cup runneth over and as I radiate love and joy and peace throughout the entire universe every time I take great pleasure in a delicious meal, every time I feel my inner fire rising up and causing me to break a sweat. And doesn't that seem like it would feel so much better than just running on a treadmill for an hour because you, you you ate a cookie? And now you hate yourself for failing at your diet, right? For not being disciplined enough. Doesn't that seem like it feels so much better? And the thing is, like, I don't have a goal weight anymore. I don't, I mean, I definitely, I know how I want my body to look, but like, I also kind of trust my body to figure it out because, you know, my heart has been beating for 31 years and my lungs have been breathing for 31 years. I've ate so much food and you know I've had many a lazy day you know but I've also like put my body through a lot I've put my body through a lot and somehow it figures out what to do and I don't have to really like instruct it everything just kind of keeps working 
I don't, I don't have to like write it a letter. I don't have to give it instructions. It's, it's like every part of my body just kind of knows what I expect of it. And so it's like, I, I've reached the point where I'm like, I'm just going to do what feels good. And sometimes that's going to mean dancing. Sometimes that's going to mean, you know, going vegan for a day. Sometimes that's going to mean eating like an entire large pizza from Pizza Hut (laughs) in like one sitting. Not too late though, because then I have nightmares. (laughs) But, you know, I'm going to do what feels good and I'm going to trust that my body is going to be able to handle it because so far it has and I don't see any point in stressing out about it or trying to micromanage it. I don't want to have to tell it what to do. That seems exhausting. I've got other things to do. I've got better things to do than trying to micromanage my body and how it's going to, you know, appear in the physical reality around me. And I love it. I love it deeply. I love that it does that. I love that it's capable of that. Like, how beautiful is that? And I will say also, like, you know, being a circus artist and being a dancer, I get to create art with my body all the time which is absolutely wonderful and it's like I don't have to make my body look any specific way other than like the shape that I'm trying to achieve in a you know particular pose and suddenly the love handles don't matter so much anymore you know how big or not big (laughs) my butt is does not matter it doesn't affect the shape what affects the shape is like you know how flexible am I in this moment right So I'll stretch my split some more, but you really, I think a lot of this, this is actually really stolen from Alanis Morissette, but at some point she was talking about running marathons and, you know, obviously she lost weight training for a marathon, but she's like, it's so weird because, you know, running marathons, I started to see my body as an instrument and not an ornament, right? Your body is not there for decoration, it's it's your physical representation in this 3D reality that allows you to, you know, move around and sense. Just you've got these senses. You can sense so many things. You can have so many wonderful experiences and do so many things and just live. Just live your journey with your body. And you don't, it doesn't have to look any particular way in order for you to do that. And that's so great, right? So what I will leave you with is this idea of coming from love. So for your thoughts and your feelings and your behaviors, I want you to start to identify whether they are from love or from fear. If they come from fear, then there's a really good chance that they're coming from your inner child or from your critical parent. And if they're coming from love, then they are coming from you. So ask yourself, what is your come from? And a really big part of that is learning to listen to your heart. And I really mean that quite literally, right? You can find within your body a physical reaction to certain desires and drives. And that's that's your intuition. And that's what a lot of us, you know, hippies, (laughs) a lot of us that are into hippie shit, you know, we really like to ask whether something resonates with you. Or whether something is truly serving you. And that's what we mean. When something resonates, that's when you can feel 
a part of your body, and for me, it, it is my heart, you know, lighting up with energy and love when you think about something you really want. When you think about something that really resonates, you can feel it. You can feel that in your body. That's how you listen to your in- intuition. That is finding your inner smile, and that is finding yourself. That is how to find yourself. Coming from love gives you the exact same sensations as you have watching a puppy playing with a ball, right? Or that morning after a really exciting and promising first date. When you're coming from love and you're focusing on showing up for yourself authentically as yourself 100% of the time, right? You feel good. You feel joy and happiness and peace from within, from in that heart center, from in your body. You feel good. You feel that energy flowing because you have cut through all the bullshit, all the bullshit of the ego. You know, you've quieted the critical parent and you are truly nurturing and caring for your inner child. You've learned to recognize that all your thoughts and feelings are there to help you find your way to your needs and to your wants, but you can choose consciously to meet those needs and to get those wants fulfilled instead of reacting based on your subconscious patterns. You spend most of your days flying high like you've just fallen in love because you have. You've fallen in love with the journey, right? You've fallen in love with yourself. If there's one way to tell whether you're truly listening to yourself and living authentically in your truth, it's that the truth will always feel good for you. And anything that feels bad is coming from fear. So act in ways that feel better to you, and you're already on your way to better, brighter days. And a lot of this comes from the meaning that we assign things. So as we strip away the ego and learn to not get overly involved with it, As we learn to stop listening to our thoughts and to trust our hearts and our intuition instead, we start to realize that nothing has any inherent meaning. Nothing means anything unless we make it mean something to us. And that's a really beautiful gift because then you can apply significance strategically in ways that feel good and that do resonate with you rather than relying on your ego to assign the meaning for you, right? And that's the thing is like we are meaning making machines. We are experts at assigning meaning and significance to everything. So life gets a lot easier when you learn to assign meaning consciously rather than letting your subconscious programs do it for you. So for the rest of the day, I want you to practice assigning a different meaning to everything that happens to you. So go ahead and allow your default reactions, right? They're going to happen anyways but also assign other meaning. So this is an example I will probably use 50 more times in the course of, you know, creating this podcast. But, you know, let's say that you're like, you're talking to this guy or, you know, like maybe it's a boyfriend or something, but he doesn't text you back quickly enough. And, you know, your reaction is, oh, he's ignoring me. And whatever other story you're going to tell yourself about what that means, right? But maybe also play with the idea that he's been abducted by aliens. (laughs) Okay. You know, maybe he's having the world's most enthralling conversation with a stranger at a bus stop. Maybe 
his phone died because he spent the morning showing pictures of you to strangers so that they could witness your beauty for themselves. Maybe he's still racking his brain, just trying to think of something clever to say that will get you to fall for him. Right? So spend the day practicing assigning meaning on purpose, intentionally choosing what meanings you're going to assign to things. Come up with some alternatives instead of just defaulting to listening to your ego mind, to your ego's reaction to all of the things that are coming up from your subconscious. Practice that. Practice that skill. Get creative. And if you are watching this on YouTube, you know, leave a comment <laughs> telling me some ridiculous alternative meanings that you, you've chosen to assign to certain things. Is that fair enough? As always, you guys, thank you so much for connecting. Thank you for listening. I love you all. I will see you in the next episode. Goodbye. Bye.